You are listening to The Political Periscope, a weekly podcast brought to you by Radio WNET. Interviews on international politics, security, geopolitics, economy and more, every Thursday at 7 p.m. Today's guest of The Political Periscope is Sergei Sumlenny, German political analyst, former director of regional office of Heinrich Böll Foundation in Ukraine from 2015 to 2021. Political Periscope. You were born in Russia. Yes, exactly. I uh, I was born in Russia and I was a Russian citizen for uh, the bigger part of my life. Uh, and I was socialized in Russia. I have graduated Moscow University from the Moscow University. And I worked in Russia for a longer time. And uh, I believe that is the reason why I have absolutely no illusions about uh, what Russia is doing currently in Ukraine and what are the motives of this invasion. And uh, that is why I'm sometimes so, so desperate uh, about, uh, about trying to explain my colleagues in Germany that what they're facing in Ukraine is not just some sort of misunderstanding one can solve with uh, a good compromise with Moscow, but that is an essential aggression against our world and our way of life and style of life and our democracy. And here you cannot find a compromise. You first need to uh, achieve a clear military victory. And after that, discuss the, um, the framework of Russian capitulation. So no saving Putin's face? Uh, well, maybe in some museum or in a jar um, in some decades, uh, no, no saving of Putin's face. Because like every compromise, uh, every compromise with uh, Moscow, with Putin, uh, is just time saving for him. Um, like Putin has never, was never looking for, uh, for a win-win game. He doesn't... Uh, accept the very existence of win-win games. He always plays a zero-sum game and uh, any any profit his opponent uh, can get from any agreement, he uh, understands that it is his personal, his personal loss, his personal cost. So in his way of um, dealing with uh, any problem, uh, there can be only his victory and humiliation of the opponent or are some sort of a deal which he is about to break. And that was all the deals we have, uh, we have uh, signed with Moscow, uh, starting from, for example, Minsk agreements, which Russia accepted only as a way to further undermine Ukraine and to reform its army and to gain more power and to increase German dependency on Russian gas. And any other agreement, if you look at them, um, they they don't see themselves being bound by agreements, but they request from other parts to fulfill agreements. And after the opponent, as they see, like not the partner, but the opponent, uh, has fulfilled all the obligations resulting from the agreement, Russia violates its own part and goes into a new conflict and offers a new so-called compromise just in order to uh, win some time and to hit you again. 
So what can we do now in current situation to solve this war, to end this war? Well, there is one very easy way to end this war, and uh, this end has uh, been called Russia's defeat. And for Russia's defeat, we need more weapons to Ukraine, being sent to Ukraine, more heavy weapons. We have seen the results uh, of uh, sending to Ukraine HIMARS, uh, these high-mobility uh, multiply, uh, multiply rocket launch systems. Uh, we have seen that within the, some weeks, uh, Russian uh, Russian uh, offensive has been stopped by Ukrainians. Russians uh, were unable to uh, continue their offensive neither in Donbas nor in the southern part of Ukraine, in Kherson, Zaporizhia. And uh, now Ukrainians uh, very precisely and uh, very uh, very skilled. Uh, switched off Russian ammunition depots, and that is actually what nobody expected in the West from Ukrainians. Those people who knew Ukrainian army expected it, but the most people didn't expect it. That they didn't expect that Ukrainian army is can be so skilled that Ukrainian army can uh, can use this high tech equipment uh, designed in the West. Uh, with uh, that level of uh, of precision and and of responsibility, we don't uh, we don't see any case of Ukrainian army uh, hitting some targets which are not been uh, been um, which are not seen as legitimate targets. They hit only and exclusively military targets with high precision, with high effectivity, and that is what they will continue to do. Uh, so we need to send more weapons to Ukraine. Uh, I would uh, personally uh, urge Western powers to send also fighter jets to Ukraine and uh, surface-to-air missile systems like Patriots to Ukraine so Ukrainians could protect their sky more effectively than they do it now with old Soviet systems. And if we do so and Russia will effectively lose this war and we'll have to get out of Ukraine, we will have all the crises uh, solved. We will have the food crisis solved, the hunger crisis solved, the energy crisis solved. And um, I hope we will see a regime change in Russia because no dictator who has started a war and lost it could survive uh, on the top of political uh, the political pyramid. And in this case, uh, the man who has caused so many problems for the world and has put the world on the edge of, uh, of the world war will just disappear. And that will be something which is good for everyone, including people who live in Russia. How will look Russia without Putin? Well, uh, I personally don't care, I need to say, uh, and it is clearly the the, the question uh, which should be which should be elaborated by people who live in Russia and by nations who are neighbors of Russia, um, and most of and maybe first and foremost by the nations who are neighbors of Russia and have suffered from Russian invasions. I personally would prefer to see Russia uh, demilitarized and denuclearized because we, we, we have seen that uh, one of the factors which encouraged Vladimir Putin and Russian military elite and larger parts of Russian society to go into this war was a feeling of invulnerability, the feeling that they can do anything they want 
uh, without having any fear of retaliation. You can see it, for example, on the cases uh, that Ukraine uh, does not attack any target on, Ukra- on Russian territory. Uh, even although Russia uses military bases in Bryansk or in Kursk Oblast in Russia to uh, indiscriminately shell Ukrainian cities like Kharkiv or Sumy, Ukraine doesn't strike back, strike back. This is being done is being done by uh, by a uh, clear request by the U.S. to not use uh, U.S. Uh, originated weapon systems to hit Russian soil because the U.S. has fear of escalation and specifically nuclear escalation. If Russia had not have have had not had uh, nuclear weapons, Russia would never dare to start several wars in the region because they knew what happened to other countries who tried. They have been brought to justice by international community, but Russia thinks that Russia is immune because of the nukes. So the, the first step which should be done after the collapse of Russian regime would be denuclearization of Russia in order to allow Russia or the countries which will appear after to be parts of international community, to be to be seen by their neighbors as the countries which can be treated as as partners, as reliable partners, and not as a source of eternal threat. Um, so demilitarization, denuclearization, democratization, and uh, most probably also uh, regionalization in sense of Uh, allowing nations of Russia who want to be independent and free to be independent and free because it's the basic right of any nation, uh, the right for self-determination. And I think it will be better for any person who lives in Russia, even if they don't realize it currently, because if you think from the perspective, like I deliberately exclude from this uh, from this uh, from this position the views like of Ukrainians or Georgians or other nations who have been attacked by Russians because their interest is clear they don't want to be attacked once again they don't want to be killed once again they don't want to live under threat but if you think about interests of let me say a 50 years old mother living in Sverdlovska Oblast in some small town close to Yekaterinburg, for example, in the city named Asbest, uh, 80 kilometers from Yekaterinburg. And she has her son, and the son has just returned from the army and has no job. And now and then he marries and he takes a credit for his uh, wedding and he can't pay it, pay it back. So he goes to the Wagner private uh, work company and signs a contract to go to Syria or to Ukraine or somewhere else because he wants to get good money. And in two months or two weeks, he comes back in a coffin. And this is a tragedy for the family. I don't say about the tragedy of the people who he killed or tortured or raped, but it is also a tragedy for the family. And this tragedy is caused by only one mean, because Vladimir Putin and Russia wanted to start imperialistic wars and 
in the case of the Southern Urals Republic, or name it, or no idea, or, or free, free, free union or federation of some nations there, there will be no need to do it. And they can invest their passion and their skills and their, and their time and their work into some peaceful activities and not in killing other people. Don't you fear that if Russian Federation collapses, there will be a huge vacuum of security that China can just march in and stop on Ural? I don't think so. Uh, we had, or uh, the West, uh, had the same fear uh, just before the Soviet Union has collapsed. If we look at all the Hollywood movies from the time, there were fears that nuclear weapons will go to the hands of some crazy people, or like terrorists, criminals, etc., that there will be wars. Nothing of that has happened. The worst thing which happened with a nuclear weapon back then was that nuclear weapon was given by the West to uh, legitimate Russian authorities. Like, every fear in the West was that some, like, nationalistic criminal generals or terrorists or somewhere else will, like, get access to nuclear bombs. That's why they have taken the nukes from Ukraine, from Kazakhstan, and gave, gave them to, to, to Boris Yeltsin. But at the fact, Boris Yeltsin was the person who has appointed Vladimir Putin and has given him the nuclear bombs, and it is Vladimir Putin who uh, is now threatening the world with the nukes. So our fear of, of security vacuum uh, was, was, was uh, absolutely, absolutely uh, a fantasy. It was, uh, it was hallucination. We were afraid that nations like Ukraine will attack Belarus or like uh, Uzbekistan will attack Kazakhstan. Nothing of that has happened. The only the only uh, power who had provoked wars on the post-Soviet space was Russia. You think about Abkhazia, Ossetia, uh, you think about Transnistria, you think about Crimea and Donbass now. Even in uh, Nagorno-Karabakh conflict, uh, Russia's interests were prevailing to, to ignite this war to that level. And that has happened because Russia was too big. Russia felt that it is some sort of a crippled Soviet Union and wanted to restore it, its power back. And none of the countries, which, or almost none of the countries, because of course there are some tensions between Romania and Azerbaijan, but most of the countries which uh, were created after the collapse of the Soviet Union didn't have these imperialistic dreams. So in this case, if Russia will collapse now, and no country which uh, emerges on the ruins, out of ruins of uh, former Russian Federation, if no country will see itself as uh, crippled Russia or crippled Soviet Union, then no nation will have its, its uh, dream of restoring it because you cannot dream to restore what you, uh, what you don't associate yourself with. Like Ukraine doesn't dream of restoration of Soviet Union, even Belarus doesn't dream of restoration of the Soviet Union. They're happy, like Lukashenko is happy with his own borders. Uh, so from this perspective, the collapse of Russia will not create a dangerous power vacuum. It will, uh, quite the opposite, will create uh, the, the fundament for peace development. 
And regarding the Chinese expansion, if Chinese would like to, they would have expanded to Russia already by now. Uh, they have all the all the means to do it. They have way more people. They have way bigger army. They have way more money. They could have done it by now. I don't believe that they want to expand their territorial sovereignty to the north because it's too costly. They can control what they want to control, the resources, uh, by by uh, economy means, by corruption means, by other means. What they are actually doing now, because Russia sells all its forest illegally harvested to China, Russia sells its gas to China, Russia sells other resources to China. So Chinese uh, government is already controlling, is already in control of Russian resources. They don't need to expand their sovereignty with all the debts and obligations to the region and to provoke the, the United Nations. So I don't think that will be something which is worse than we have now. And the Moscow, is it possible for Moscow to lose this imperial um, ambitions? Uh, if you can't, if you can't pay for your ambitions anymore, if you don't have resources to make them real, you will have to abandon them, not because you want to, but because it happens. Nobody in, in uh, Austrian-Hungarian monarchy wanted to lose the empire, but the empire was lost anyway. Nobody in, uh, let me say, uh, other empires wanted to lose it, but empires collapse in the mo at the moment when the metropoly cannot afford holding it together. And I believe that the moment of the bankruptcy, both economical, political and military bankruptcy of Russian Federation has already happened. Do you think those views, uh, the views you presented, the dismantling of Russia, the dismantling of the empire to create a new security space in, in Eurasia, um, is this thought even present in the Western Europe? I think that is the biggest challenge and the biggest problem because the, the collapse of Russia is what many Western elites uh, not want to achieve and are afraid to witness. And they don't want to think about it because they believe when they think about it, they can ignite this this, this problem, uh, the problem for them. If they start like some, some think tank programs with thinking about uh, what will happen on the ruins of Russian Federation, they will uh, practically practically ignite these movements. But that is a wrong perception because the independence movements they appear on their own because people are not willing to live in the empire anymore and they start to think about their identities. And um, if you remember the, the some months before the collapse of the Soviet Union, uh, the Western politicians wanted to preserve it because they believed that the Soviet Union can be a factor of stability and the collapse of Soviet Union will be the factor of instability. You remember the speech in Kyiv, so-called Kyiv chicken speech, when the US president urged uh, Ukrainians uh, to stay uh, within the Soviet Union. I'm afraid that is the case now. I, I don't believe we have in a German foreign ministry enough people or any people who speak Tatar or Bashkir 
or other languages of, of Russian Federation. And I think the, the day when Russian Federation collapses will be the day of huge surprise in many foreign ministries in Europe, especially in the Western Europe. And uh, we will face this day completely unprepared. I think that we can already see uh, in Western Europe some countries for uh, which uh, the war in Ukraine is inconvenient, I would say, because it's the obstacle in relations with Russia. Do you agree? Uh, yes, uh, we we uh, know that uh, some political and economic groups would prefer to um, come back to business as usual with Russia. We also observe the um, uh, process which we can call Ukraine fatigue, uh, because this war uh, is going already since uh, almost 150 days. And uh, many people look with fear uh, to to the to, to winter and think okay, where will we get our gas to to heat our houses and to run our economy. But uh, all these fears are the the consequence of the lack of strategic vision and of clear understanding what is our um, what is our challenge we face. We face the biggest challenge to our world, to democracy, to peace, stability, security, international law. And we cannot say, we just pretend it, it doesn't happen. We cannot say, let's agree on something and compromise our values. Because this is the way to worse conflict, to worse war. And uh, the wars, they don't ask you when you are in the mood to fight or not. When the battle comes, you either fight it or, or die or, or capitulate. You cannot say, I'm not in the mood today for a fight. Yesterday, a commission in Polish parliament decided to ask Germany to uh, rent their nuclear power plants. Isn't the current situation somehow a fault of uh, German energy policy? Well, I would say that uh, the uh, coalition government of uh, Angela Merkel and Social Democrats in Germany, uh, which run the country for three legislative periods out of four, when Angela Merkel was uh, chancellor, uh, is directly responsible for the mess we are facing now. Uh, many nations in Central Eastern Europe warned us Germans of uh, of the problematic character of the both uh, Nord Stream 1 and Nord Stream 2 gas pipelines and in general of the aggressive character of Russian energy export policy that uh, our government was telling all the time to, uh, to Poles, to Ukrainians, to other nations that we Germans have business relations with Moscow since like 50 years, 40 years, and we have never experienced any problem, and we know better, and all criticism against Moscow is just like some paranoid Russophobia or something else. Uh, the current situation demonstrates very clear that uh, our government was wrong, and Poles and Ukrainians were right. Uh, unfortunately, we are already now in the trap and uh, we, we, we don't even say pretty openly in Germany that it is our German fault. So we even ignore 
the 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 guilt of our governments for us having got into this trap and the second step which should have fallen uh which should have which, which should have followed after we have recognized that we are in a trap is to understand what can we do and uh we cannot rely on russian gas supply to get out of this trap because it is russia who 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 closed the trap and what our government is doing they're trying to find ways to persuade vladimir putin to sell us gas and to send us gas but uh that is not what you can politically allow uh, to happen because vladimir putin is the is the blackmailer the criminal who enjoys our vulnerability and who has created our vulnerability to let him exploit this vulner- vulnerability is just to pay him back uh for what he has done it is extremely wrong and it doesn't help to improve our security situation because we leave the key to our energy stability uh in his hands the the right answer would be to to find uh other ways of energy supply uh even the ways which we don't want to have on the longer run like nuclear power plants i understand that many people in germany don't want to have nuclear power plants for a longer time but we can continue to use them for one year or two uh, because the war is much worse than having run them for one year why why don't uh, germany want power pl- nuclear power plants it's something that we in Poland we want them we are trying to build them we've been trying for many years and uh, we see it's cheap it's clean and why germany decided to get rid of this well relatively cheap and clean uh, power source well uh, like there are um, there are different um, different reasons why okay first the question of uh, are they cheap uh, is not that easy to be answered because um you have to calculate also insurances and insurances are never private they are normally state paid because no private company would be ready to insure to 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 sign insurance police for for a nuclear power plant because in the case of catastrophic event the cost will be too high so the 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 question of 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 cost is and uh, price is not that that easy to be answered but um it is just like the technical explanation i think that the main reason is much deeper and the main reason is uh that in germany we have um we have actually like fear of technology and we believe that uh, technologies are something that can be so risky that the the profits of brought by the technology can never be higher than the risks and that's why better be conservative on the technological level you can see it with uh, many things like starting from uh, from digitalization and german love to send in documents per fax or uh, the uh, the decision of german government um, actually uh, also by uh, by by the green transport minister back then in 90s to to stop the to stop financing of um, the magnet uh, magnet led uh, high speed train tran- uh, transrapid 
Uh, after all, Chinese bought this technology from, from Bavaria and built it in Shanghai, where it works perfectly, but in Germany we didn't want to have it. And other cases, like um, Germans were shocked by Chernobyl, Germans were shocked by Fukushima, but shocked to the higher extent than other European nations, because it was for Germans the proof of all their fears. They said, aha, uh, we, were, we were right, this technology can create uh, enormous negative impact and it's better not to have it. Let's have all good coal plants and all good like gas plants. Um, although the the emissions caused by coal plants effectively are much worse than emissions by 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 the nuclear plants, but the nuclear plants are being seen as something like ultimately evil because the nuclear waste is uh, like will 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 uh, will radiate for thousands of years because you cannot see it, because you cannot smell it, because we know that something terrible can happen and we can, can't allow it to happen. So here we have emotions meeting real risks and being confirmed by these real risks and once being accepted as policy and the Green Party, for example, is one of the the, the leading parties now in Germany and uh, anti-nuclear movement was the fundament of the Greens since, since decades. Even before the Green Party was founded as the party, it was the fundament of German peace movement and environmental movement. So uh, we, we, we cancelled it, we don't want to relaunch them, but I need to stress here, it's not only Greens... Uh, don't you forget that the nuclear power plants uh, in Germany uh, have been proclaimed as something we will shut down on the Angela Merkel, on the Conservative Party? We know Germans' government attitude towards Russia. Uh, we know that the war is a problem for them. They would prefer a rather uh, normal business as usual uh, with, with Putin and the society. What does German society think of the war? Uh, majority, the vast majority, majority of Germans uh, are still ready to suffer financial costs, but to support Ukraine. Uh, if you look at polls now, we have about 65% of Germans who say we are ready to pay high price for energy, what we want uh, to continue to support Ukraine, and if you exclude two radical parties who are very pro-Moscow and pro-Putin, like the, the far-right IFD alternative for Germany and the far-left Die Linke, who are the descendants of, of uh, the Eastern German, uh, Eastern German dictatorship party SED. Uh, they both have uh, way lower numbers. Like, I think at IFD it's about like 25%, at the Linke it's like 45 or 50%. But four democratic parties, three governmental parties and one oppositional Christian, Democrat, Christian, social party, they all have definitely over 70% of their members who support uh, the policy of uh, providing help to Ukraine, even if it costs us some economic losses. Um, I'm not sure this support is granted, is being granted. I'm not sure this support will sustain the winter if 
many Germans will not be able to pay uh, heating bills. But now we have this support, and this is exactly the momentum we need to use to send weapons to Ukraine to help Ukrainians to win this war within a month or two. Because if we, if we uh, lose the momentum, if we let this war to go into a longer frozen conflict, uh, we will dramatically increase the chances for Vladimir Putin to blackmail us and to spread fears uh, among our population. And we'll give him actually very good cards into his hands. And uh, I'm not sure that in December or in January the 70% of German support will remain to be 70%. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. This was The Political Periscope. The podcast is released every Thursday at 7 p.m. 